Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, Leanne Hughes. Hey everyone and welcome to the show. I'm your host Leanne Hughes and I'm here to help you create unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. We heard from Paul Z. Jackson and Janine Waldman last week talking about solutions-based facilitation. So today it's time for another mini-sode. Now these short, sharp mini-sodes come out to you every fortnight and the difference between these and interviews is that in these um, solo ones, I aim to share some practical advice that you can use to boost your workshop experience. Now this week it's sponsored by my LinkedIn profile. I would love to connect with you on there. A big shout out to listeners. Uh, g'day to Ross Davison, Chris Hewitt, Melissa Kim and Matt Pennell who have recently connected with me on LinkedIn. It's just so good to hear from you wherever you are, hearing what types of workshops you facilitate um, and even where you listen to the show, whether it's on your commute, um, all of it. So please don't be shy. I'd love to hear what you're up to and a link to my profile link is in the show notes for this one. As you can probably tell from the title, uh, this episode is all about my latest experience facilitating leadership training in Hong Kong. I had a very busy schedule and I learned a ton. So I thought I'd share it with you. And these lessons um, really relate to facilitating when you're on the road or or traveling. Uh, But if you're listening in and thinking, hey, Leanne, I'm a first time facilitator. I'm not really getting the opportunity to travel. Well, guess what? Like five years ago, I wasn't even working as a facilitator. I was working in a marketing role um, over the other side of Australia. Um, In fact, even three years ago, I had never traveled anywhere to facilitate. Uh, So it's pretty incredible uh, the difference of of how much even three years can make in this world. So look, even if you do travel for business and you're not facilitating, some things that I reveal on today's show can help you. But If you are on the road or will be on the road in the future, please learn from my mistakes. (laughs) Um, And I also talk a little bit bit about self-care as well in this episode as I had a lot of big days over there. Uh, Before I dive in, remember if you want to join the conversation when the podcast is over, you can join our community of over 190 facilitators from all over the world on the free Facebook group called The Flip Chart. So on there, we share all sorts of cool activities, videos and articles that we're geeking out on. It's a really supportive community. Um, And like I said on previous episodes, all of us are driven by the same thing. We want to do what it takes to make our workshops different and engaging. You can view a link to the group and other resources mentioned, although I've got to say the show notes for this one aren't too impressive. I'm thinking of converting this one to a blog article where I'll link to everything in the near future. Uh, but if you want to take a look at that, you can go to firsttimefacilitator.com forward slash episode 79. Now on to the show. Okay, let me set the context for you on this trip. Yes, I have traveled to other countries before to deliver workshops. So places like Canada, Indonesia, and Mongolia. So what was different about this experience? Well, a few things. 
Firstly, it was my first overseas trip under my own consultancy. I left my corporate job in February. So I was acting as myself, Leanne Hughes, representing myself. I was working with an external company uh, and they were in a different industry to anything I'd been exposed to before. And that industry was construction. And it was the first time that I had delivered on my own over a period of five days. Usually that time period, I've had a co-facilitator or a guest speaker in for at least, you know, half a day to mix things up. But this assignment was five days. Then I had the weekend and then an extra two days of delivery. I was familiar with the content. So that was a good thing. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to set the stage for you before launching into lessons learned. So I was thinking... um, just reflecting on this, but when you get a new gig like this, a new country or a new client, new industry, it kind of feels like you're going to work. It's the first day of a new job. You know, you get the same kind of jitters because there's a little bit of unknown. There's a mystery around it all. And you really want to, I think, minimize the the unknown factors before you head into the workshop environment. So knowing um, firstly that this would cover some long days, you know, 8 till 6 p.m. Monday to Friday, you know, facilitating and and speaking, I reached out to a group on Facebook and I asked this question and my question was this, hey, who here regularly delivers five-day workshops in a row on the road? I'm keen to hear any neat tactics for getting through what I know will be tough. I know the basics, drink lots of water, sleep well, try to avoid alcohol and eat healthy. Any other tips? And I wanted to start this episode by sharing some of the responses I got on that Facebook group as they were really good. Um, (laughs) Funnily enough, the first response was, I'm genuine when I say this, don't do it. However, if you're already committed, then be gentle, drink water and don't pack in too much else that week. Also, do something colourful and fun for you. So I'd already committed and signed the contract. I'd committed to next bit of advice that came through. Of those I've worked with who do this, they tend to get guest speakers in. Again, not too helpful because I didn't have any control over this. Next bit of advice. I do this reasonably frequently. Sleep, melatonin assisted if necessary, and water. Also, I'm guessing you know the content inside and out. So do all you can prep-wise so you don't use unnecessary energy. Little things like take a kit you can use every day and repack in the evenings so it's good to go. Yep, love this advice and I believe in packing your bag the night before as well, um, which is what I do. Just wanted to share that with all of you. Next comment. I do this very regularly. It's a fitness thing. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. You can do this. Also, check in with your self-talk. You said it was going to be tough. Who said that? Good luck. Um, Ian Crawford, I thought I'd sing out um, who wrote that. Really great that he picked up on my self-talk. I was going in thinking it was going to be tough, which can then sometimes reinforce it and make it tough. So that was really great in terms of reframing the experience. Sally Folly Lewis was on the show previously and she responded too and she said, as above, plus make sure meal planning is done in advance. Set your auto reply on email to manage expectations, a spa treat on the middle night or at the end, and a full week's wardrobe planned out. Love that. Um, I, yeah, I was in Hong Kong, so there were really good restaurants nearby, which really helped. Um, I was too tired to even organize a spa trip, to be honest, but I will look at that next time. 
Uh, another another response. Increase your prices by 30% and deliver four days a week. Workshop starts at 9.30 and finishes at 4.30 with 16 minutes lunch. That would be my dream. But unfortunately, again, not something I could control. Plus, the Hong Kong culture is very much work hard, play hard. Uh, people start and work really, really long hours. That's Hong Kong in general, let alone add construction to the mix, which is extremely it's all about getting efficiency and getting the, the most out of people so um you, there's no way you could finish workshops early but they do love having they need it's a cultural thing to have one hour for lunch so i thought i'd add that there okay and the last comment which is great uh can i ask what is the way you recharge yourself as a mental health coach i think recovery skills are paramount the key is moving the body from sympathetic to parasympathetic mode. I agree with some of what others have suggested. Exercise, water, clean eating. But I would also add breathing. 10 to 20 breaths morning and night in this format. Inhale, hold. Exhale, hold. Each part for four seconds or longer. A pre-booked massage for 30 minutes in the middle of the week, hitting your stress point, so Wednesday afternoon. Apart from the relax, this kind um, – of of massage gives you a mental break in the week a small daily routine you do to end your work each day for example put down your bag in the same place in your room and let it all go and wait there till you pick it up again the next day hot and cold shower at the end of each day gentle stretching sorry stretching following the shower an immune boost and support like vitamin c make sure it's a good one um, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a chemist, I'm not recommending, please don't take this as health advice, but I, or you know, hold me to gospel, but there is something called Armorforce, which I love. Armorforce is just, it's got, it's all natural, herbal. And if I have one of those every day, it seems to work for me and I've haven't been sick t yet, touch wood. So that gets me through. So Chris Mitchell wrote that and I think, yeah, I'd love to get Chris on the show to talk more about that. It was quite good. Yeah, so I thought I'd share that thread so it didn't get lost on the internet. It was a winning thread, great advice, and I thought it deserved a mention. So sharing it with you. Okay, now let's talk about my travel plans as that's where I learnt my first lesson. Lesson number one, if you are travelling anywhere for work and you want to tag a holiday onto it, Tag the holiday onto the end of your business trip, not the beginning. So I was due in Hong Kong on the 28th of July. But my husband, Chris, and I spent a week in Thailand, uh, in Krabi and Bangkok prior. We love Thailand. Uh, Bangkok especially is one of my favorite cities. However, my headspace was so focused on the upcoming massive workshops. I didn't really relax at all. Any kind of spare moment I had to myself, I pulled out my facilitator guide and slides. I tried to think of new stories to relate to the content and key questions. When I went shopping in Bangkok, I was only looking for shoes that I could wear and outfits to run for the facilitation event. I really wish I'd reverse the order. I would love to be in Thailand right now <laughs> like, um, and having a holiday after this, this workshop experience. I would have definitely soaked up the atmosphere so much more. And you may be good at compartmentalizing things and staying mindful and present. And if so, then go for it. Book your holidays prior. Um, but for anyone else, trust me, book the holiday when the gig is over. Lesson learnt. Okay, now let's talk Sunday. So I flew in on the 28th of July, arrived around 3 p.m. Now it took me a couple of hours to get from the airport to the hotel 
uh, getting work visas sorted at immigration and um, with disruptions because of strikes. So the the company coordinating the event asked me if I wanted to check out the venue um, the day prior and I said yes. And um, that was really based on what Paul Z. Jackson said on the interview last week about seeing the venue the night before and it was only a 10 walk 10 minute walk to the venue from the hotel and I'm really glad I went there I could test the technology look at how the room was configured uh, figure out also my personal walking time and distance to the venue from the hotel um, the venue itself was good there wasn't much wiggle room um, that was okay but the only other thing is that it didn't have natural light which I think is really tough but um, what I ensured to do was let the participants know to go outside during breaks uh, so they could get their vitamin D um, shot for the day. So I did that, got back to the hotel, packed my bag, ironed my outfit the night before and was pretty wrecked. So I slept well. Um, Monday morning, woke up around 4am and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I thought I'd have a leisurely start to the day around 6 I'm telling you this because it sort of sets the scene. I'm not going to go through my whole week. I'm only telling you um, of events that are noteworthy. But around 6am, I went to the gym on the treadmill, had my AirPods in, was listening to some great music. I had a shower, I was taking it nice and slow. I felt really, really good. Then I got a text message from the bank. It was saying my credit card had expected fraudulent activity. I got this around 7am. I checked my credit card account and yeah, over two and a half thousand dollars had been taken out, had been drawn out in over like six different transactions at different 7-Eleven stores in Thailand. <laughs> my husband had gone to another town in Thailand for a few days visiting mutual friends. I tried to contact him. Uh, they're an hour behind, 6am there. I couldn't get in touch and I started to panic. I was like, is he okay? And then what's going on? Um... And in my panic, I ended up having to call MasterCard, the bank. And if you've had a credit card cancelled, you know how long these phone calls can take. Particularly onto MasterCard, you've got to spell out um, everything using um, like Leanne, like L for llama, E for egg. Like everything has to be spelt out the long way. So I was having to order replacement cards. I was worried about Chris. Thankfully, we got in touch for him, touch with him through the hotel. He was okay. It's just the card had been stolen uh, when he was out the previous night. So what was wrong about this situation? Well, I was really stressed the morning of this workshop. I was having a cruisy morning and then my morning I just turned really stressful. So in hindsight, I really didn't need to make the calls to MasterCard in the bank. The bank had already placed a hold on the card. I had two other cards as well as cash, so I wasn't in the lurch. For me, there was actually no real emergency, but the stress hormone cortisol had hit me and I had to take action. I hadn't given myself, like if I just took three minutes to hold back, get a pen and write down the alternatives in the moment, um, that would have helped. But what I did was I just started making a ton of phone calls to react. This is probably a bad analogy, but I'm going to stop now and start comparing myself to Tiger Woods. Um, <laughs> I don't play golf anything like Tiger Woods. However, I was reading a report um, about him and when his affair was about to be revealed all those years ago. So what Tiger did was he freaked out and he called previous girlfriends and left voicemails telling them to cover up and not say anything. Um, so that's a pretty rational thing to do, right? If you know that your story is going to get blurred to the media, you shouldn't leave voicemails incriminating you. You can look at that and go, that's pretty silly. But 
he was being irrational because he was stressed uh, and I did the same thing. I was irrational because I was stressed. So by the time I got off the calls, it was 8 a.m. and I was running late and I hadn't had a chance to go down and eat a proper breakfast. I had got a banana in the room, but, but I love breakfast. It's one of my big meals. So I walked over to the workshop room, thankful that my bag had been packed the night before and I got the chance to calm down and then I realised I'd left all my pre-drawn flip charts back at the hotel and I needed them. So I ran 10 minutes in the humidity of Hong Kong back to my hotel, picked up and ran back. So lesson number two is whatever you need to pack, either put it in your car or leave it by the front door so you don't forget it. Uh, and as soon as I walk in the second time, there are participants already sitting down. So I didn't get the luxury of setting up in private. Now I'm you know, on stage setting up. And then a minute later, um, the most senior leader in the company walks in uh, he's opening the workshop so I need to brief him, brief him meanwhile I'm still like panting from this run sweaty and I'm just trying to cool down in the air con and slow my breathing um, down so it was pretty intense getting everything set up while everyone was walking in um, actually that was a theme for the whole week so we started at 9am but participants would usually arrive and, and in the room from 8.15 onwards so they got to, uh, to the room pretty early Anyway, survived. It actually went really well Monday, Tuesday. Um, really, Everyone got really comfortable and, um, oh yeah, I learned a big lesson from Monday, that's for sure. So on Wednesday, I walk over to the venue. It was a little bit windy and overcast on the walk in the morning, uh, but around 10 a.m., a, a notif notification went to everyone in the room from the Hong Kong Observatory saying that a number eight typhoon um, warning was going to come into effect from midday. What does that mean? Well, it means that you have to get home. So all workplaces shut down. Um, so that, that did a couple of things. One, we had to figure out what to do with the afternoon class, um, make sure the participants were notified. And number two is how, like, how do you keep people present that are in your workshop when they get news like that? It They're like school kids. Like everyone's getting really excited and trying to figure out what to do. So in that moment when that notification came through, um, the only thing I could think of doing was saying, well, was just calling a break. So I said, right, we're going to move our coffee break that we planned for later. It's going to happen now. So you have 15 minutes to share your typhoon stories, phone your friends and family and figure out your plans. And then can we commit that when we get back, let's all focus and let's make the next two hours really worth our time. I didn't know if it would work, but I think it did in hindsight. Um, so I'm glad I didn't spend 30 minutes trying to wait for the proper break time. The break had to happen at that time to get it all out, get people talking and making their plans. And there was also incredible HR support to coordinate future sessions and contingency plans for you know what would happen if the typhoon continued later that week. What this meant was that the afternoon class was cancelled, so we all had to head back home, meaning that... I had to move two and a half days of course content into two days. So when you, I mean, this wasn't a big deal when this happens, you get pretty creative, I think, and you also notice what's important and what's not. I wish I could say that I went back to my hotel Wednesday afternoon and chilled, but I pretty much went back and did an overhaul to see how the new course redesign would work out. I redesigned some activities to make them work faster. Um, and yeah, Great to say that from Thursday to Friday, we squeeze all that content in 
but it didn't feel like we did. I think we had really great discussions and gave the most important models time. Um, I had the weekend and my goal over the weekend was to do nothing, maybe exercise, but just keep up the life maintenance. So get the laundry done, catch up on some emails and another goal was to not talk to anyone. <laughs> I had been talking, well, just on show for nine hours a day that week. So, yeah, so for me it was time to hibernate. And I've got to say there is no better feeling than picking up clean laundry. Uh, it's the best. When you're living out of a suitcase, you just can't beat that feeling. So I had the weekend and then Monday came along. Um, I'm not sure if you're up to date on what's happening in Hong Kong right now, but there are some massive protests and so this episode is being released on the 10th week of protests. There's tear gas being used. The footage is pretty crazy. Um, I did see pro protesters from where I was staying. Uh, they plan their locations uh, really well. They're very well organised and you get advance notice. So as a tourist or someone visiting the city, um, you can plan around it. So on Monday, we went to have like over 25 people in class, but only seven people showed up. I'm thinking, why? Well... The protesters staged a citywide strike on Monday, so they effectively shut down all of the public transport network. It was a pretty amazing operation what they did and how they did it. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you Google that if you're interested. So we ran the first half-day class with only seven people, which wasn't bad. We had really great conversations. But then we had to cancel the afternoon class again, which meant back to the hotel and more redesign as our contingency plan for Tuesday was to squeeze everyone who couldn't make it into Monday's program into Tuesday's half-day workshops, pretty much effectively doubling the participants in the room. So I went back to the drawing board. I was rethinking activities where you had to move. I was thinking what resources we need. Um, yeah, just, just planning ahead for all those people that we had on Tuesday. And I'm glad I did because... Um, if I hadn't thought about it in advance, it would have been sort of difficult to think of on the spot. Yeah, so I'm just sharing this because it's a, particu a particularly unique experience, I think. Uh, typhoons, city unrest and lost credit cards. Um, if I didn't have those things happen, it definitely would have been tons easier. Like, I, But to survive it has been an amazing learning opportunity. And I think it just is very reflective of the life of a facilitator. And we hear it week in and week out from all the guests on the show that facilitation is all about being responsive so for me this was my annual responsiveness week and I think like oh, if this was every facilitation gig I'd be like oh I'm second guessing my career choice but I think it's good to have opportunities like this hit you maybe once a quarter to keep you sharp and to keep you learning um, so before I go I wanted to share a few other survival strategies that really helped me out um one of my previous guests, Mark McKeon, he brought this up. He said anytime he's facilitating for groups over the size of 20, 18 to 20 people, he uses a microphone. Um, and I did. I used the microphone whenever I could and it made a massive difference. Really did. And I think it's the reason why I still have a voice. Um, and I drank so much water whenever I could. Just small sips at a time to keep the voice box hydrated. So water was my friend. Um, I drank magnesium every night before I went to bed. Um, that's good to help you relax and it's good for your muscles. So like your legs and your feet, which are pretty worn out after standing all day. And Murray Guest, a previous guest on the show, that's one of his tips. I also had a cool down ritual for myself. So I gave myself a time frame. I said by 8 p.m. 
um, I'm no longer dedicating any time, energy or thought to this. So I, you know, redesigned things, updated slides, created flip charts, um, packed my bags by 8 p.m. Then I could just chill and read a book, um, watch a bit of the news and find out what was happening in Hong Kong and just catch up with people um, on social. Oils, essential oils. Now, I've not been into oils for that long, but I've recently started and my favourite one for going to sleep is cedarwood. Um, and I, because I'm not really in the habit of using it, it's only when I remember to put the diffuser on. Um, I put the diffuser on 60-minute timer and I think, yeah, I just fall asleep before it goes off. So cedarwood works for me. One more thing is airport lounge access. So I'm in Australia and I'm lucky now to have Qantas Gold status, which means I get access to all um, One World Airline lounges. So on the Tuesday, I packed up at 5 p.m., um, was in the city, got straight in a taxi to the airport for an 8 p.m. overnight flight back to Australia. Um, and just so grateful for lounge access. I got to the airport, I had an amazing hot shower glass of champagne and beef brisket noodle soup which was like medicinal oh my gosh it tasted amazing I was just so grateful for having lounge access and I think if you're on the road on the tarmac often um, I would definitely look at that as an investment if you haven't got it already uh, when I got on the plane I wore my favorite Uniqlo down feather jacket which has a hoodie and I didn't need to wait for dinner because I'd already eaten dinner so I closed my eyes and I, I think I got a few hours sleep so yeah, lounge access makes a world of difference. Um, so that is a recap. Uh, there's, I haven't, look, I didn't want to give you every single detail of my trip, but I've given you some of the highlights slash lowlights just so I can share my experience with you. And traveling um, on the road, it does seem very glamorous, but it is hard. You've got that extra, I mean, facilitating is tough enough of all the variables of that, but then you have the overlay of travel and being in different cities and, and everything else that's going on. So I thought um, it'd be a nice learning opportunity for all of you. Have you had anything similar happen to you? What's been your experience uh, working in different locations? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, please connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message sharing that. Um, yeah, I think we can all learn from each other. That is it for me this week. Have a good one and chat to you next week. And look, if you're still listening in the meantime, if you do like this show, I'd love you to help out and get the word out to other people. So there are a few ways you can spread the word. Uh, you can simply send them a link to firsttimefacilitator.com or leave a rating and review in iTunes to boost the public presence of the show. Thanks, First Time Facilitators. Chat next week.